Chapter fourteen of The Wooden Horse by Hugh Walpole. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter fourteen. That night was never forgotten by anyone at the flutes. Down in the servants' hall, they prolonged their departure for bed to a very late hour and then crept timorously to their rooms. They were extravagant with the electric light and dared Benham's anger in order to secure a little respite from terrible darkness stories were recalled of sir jeremy's kindness and good nature and much speculation was indulged in as to his successor the cook recalled her early youth and an engagement with a soldier that aroused such sympathy in her hearers that she fraternized unexpectedly with claire's maid a girl who had formerly been considered haughty but was now found to be agreeable and pleasant above stairs there was the same restlessness and sense of uneasy expectancy claire went to bed but not to sleep her mind was not with her father she had been waiting for his death during many long weeks and now that the time had arrived she could scarcely think of it otherwise than calmly if one had lived like a trojan one would die like one quietly becomingly in accordance with the best traditions she was sure that there would be something ready for trojans in the next world a little different from other folks destiny something select and refined so why worry at going to meet it no it was not sir jeremy but robin throughout the night she heard the clock striking the quarters the first light of dawn crept timidly through the shuttered blinds the full blaze of the sun streamed on to her bed and she could not sleep the conversation of the day before recalled itself syllable for syllable she read into it things that had never been there and tortured herself with suspicion and doubt robin was different utterly different he was different even from a week ago when he had first told them of the affair she could hear his voice as he had bent over her asking her to forgive him that had seemed to her then the hour of her triumph but now she saw that it was the premonition of defeat how she had worked for him loved him spoiled him and now in these weeks her life work was utterly undone and then in the terrible loneliness of her room with the darkness on the world and round her bed and at her heart she wept terrible tearless sobbing that left her in the morning weak unstrung utterly unequal to the day this conversation with robin had also worried garrett the consolation that he had frequently found in the reassuring comforts of his study seemed utterly wanting to-night the stillness irritated him it seemed stuffy close and he had an overmastering desire for a companion this desire he conquered because he felt that it would be scarcely dignified to search the byways of the house for a friend but he listened for steps and fancied over and over again that he heard the eagerly anticipated knock but no one came and he sat far into the night fancying strange sounds and trembling at the dark and at last fell asleep in his chair and was discovered in an undignified position on the floor in the early morning by the politely astonished benham but it was for harry that the night most truly marked a crisis he spent it in vigil by the side of his father and watched the heavy passing of the hours like grey solemn figures through the darkened room 
the faint glimmer of the electric light heavily shaded assumed fantastic and portentous shapes and fleecy enormous shadows on the white surface of the staring walls strange blue shadows glimmered through the black caverns of the windows and faint lights came from beneath the door and hovered on the ceiling like mysteriously moving figures sir jeremy was perfectly still death had come to him very gently and had laid its hand quietly upon him with no violence or harshness it was only old age that had greeted him as a friend and then with a smile had persuaded him to go he was unconscious now but at any moment his senses might return and then he would ask for harry the crisis might come at any time and harry must be there he felt no weariness his brain was extraordinarily active and he passed every incident since his return in review it all seemed so clear to him now the inevitability of it all and his own blindness in escaping the meaning of it it seemed now that he had known nothing of the world at all three weeks ago then he had judged it from his own knowledge now he saw it in many lights the point of view of robin of dahlia feverel of clare of sir jeremy of bethel of mary he had arrived at the great knowledge that life could be absolutely right for many different sorts of people that the same life like a globe of flashing colours could shine into every corner of obscurity gleaming differently in every different place and yet be unchangeable murderer robber violator saint priest king beggar they were all parts of a wonderful inevitable world and he saw it now were all of them essential he had been tolerant before from a wide embracing charity he was tolerant now from a wide embracing knowledge er liebte jeden hund und wünschte von jedem hund geliebt zu sein they had all learnt in that last three weeks dahlia feverel would pass into the world with that struggle at her heart and the strength of her victory his father would solve the greatest question of all robin mary clare they had all been learning too but what it was that they had learnt he could not yet tell the conclusion of the matter was to come but it had all been for him at least only a prelude he was to stand for the world as head of the house he had his life before him and his work to do he had only like robin just come of age he did not know why but he had no longer any doubt he knew that he would win robin he knew that he would win mary up to that day he had been uncertain vacillating miserable but now he had no longer any hesitation the work of his life was to fit robin for his due succession and please god he would do it with all his heart and soul and strength there was to be no false sentiment no shifting of difficult questions no hiding from danger no sheltering blindly under unquestioned creeds no false bids for popularity robin was to be clean straight and sane with all the sturdy cleanliness and strength and sanity that his father's love and knowledge could give him oh he loved his son but no longer blindly as he had loved him three weeks ago and so he faced his future and of mary too he was sure he knew that she loved him he had seen her face in the mirror as her lips had said no 
and he saw that her heart had said yes with the new strength that had come to him he vowed to force her defences and carry her away oh he could be any knight and fight for any lady but as he sat by the bed watching the dawn struggle through the blinds and listening to the faint clear twittering of birds in the grey dew-swept garden he wished that he could tell his father of his engagement he wondered if there would be time that it would please the old man he knew and it would seal the compact and place a secret blessing on their married life together yes he would like to tell him the clocks struck five he heard their voices echo through the house and at the last the tiny voice of the cuckoo clock sounded and the little wild flap of his wings came quite clearly through the silence his voice was answered by a chorus from the garden the voices of the birds seemed to grow ever louder and louder in that strange dark room with its shaded lights and heavy airs it was clear and fresh like the falling of water on cold shining stone harry went softly to the window and drew back a corner of the blind the dawn was gradually revealing the forms and colours of the garden and in the grey misty light things were mysterious and uncertain like white lights in a dusky room the two white statues shone through the mist at that strange hour they seemed in their right atmosphere they seemed to move and turn and bend he could have fancied that they sailed on the mist that for a moment they had vanished and then that they had grown enormous monstrous he watched them eagerly and as the light grew clearer he made them out more plainly the straight eager beauty of the man the dim mysterious grace of the woman perhaps they talked in those early hours when they were alone in the garden perhaps they might speak to him if he were to join them then then he fancied that the mist formed into figures of men and women to his excited fancy the garden seemed peopled with shapes that increased and dwindled and vanished round the statues many shapes gathered one in especial seemed to walk to and fro with its face turned to the house it was a woman her grey dress floated in the air and he saw her form outlined against the statue then the mist seemed to sweep down again and catch the statues in its eddies and hide them from his gaze the dawn was breaking very slowly from the window the sweep of the sea was in daylight perfectly visible now in the dim grey of the sky it was hidden but harry knew where it must be and watched for its appearance the first lights were creeping over the sky breaking in delicate tints and ripples of silver and curving arc-shaped from the west to the east where sky and sea divided a faint pale line of grey hovered and broke turning into other paler lights of the most delicate blue the dawn had come he turned back again to the garden and started with surprise in the more certain light there was no doubt that it was a woman who stood there by the statues guarding the first early beauties of the garden everything was pearl grey save where high above the water of the fountain that stood in the centre of the lawn the sky had broken into a little lake of the palest blue and this was reflected in the still mirror of the fountain but it was a woman he could see the outline of her form the bend of her neck as she turned with her face to the house the straight line of her arms as they fell at her sides 
and as he looked his heart began to beat thickly he seemed to recognize that carriage of the body from the hips the fling back of the head as she stared towards the windows the light of the dawn was breaking over the garden the chorus of the birds was loud in the trees and he knew that it was no dream he glanced for a moment at his father and then crept softly from the room he found one of the nurses making tea over a spirit lamp in the dressing-room and asked her to take his place the house was perfectly silent as he opened the french window of the drawing-room and stepped on to the lawn the grass was heavy with dew and the fresh air beat upon his face he had never known anything quite so fresh the air the grass the trees the birds song like the sound of hidden waters tumbling on to some unseen rock her face was turned away from him and his feet made no sound on the grass he came perfectly silently towards her and then when he saw that it had indeed been no imagination but that it was reality and when he knew all that her coming there meant and what it implied for a moment his limbs shook so that he could scarcely stand then he laughed a little and said mary she turned with a little cry and when she saw who it was the crimson flooded her face changing it as the rising sun was soon to change the grey of the sea and the garden oh she cried i didn't know i i didn't mean i it is going to be a lovely day he said quietly the sun will be up in a moment i have been watching you from my father's window oh you mustn't she cried eagerly i thought that i was safe absolutely i i was here quite by chance or really i was i i couldn't sleep and i thought that i would catch the sunrise over the sea and i went down to the beach and then well there was the little wood by your garden and it was so wonderfully still and silent and i saw those statues gleaming through the trees and they looked so beautiful that i came nearer i meant to come only for a moment and, and then go away again but i stayed but he could scarcely hear what she said he only saw her standing there with her dress trembling a little in the breeze mary he said you did not mean what you told me the other day she looked at him for a moment and then suddenly flung out her hands and touched his coat no she answered for a moment they were utterly silent then he took her into his arms i love you how i love you her hair was about his face for a moment her face was buried in his coat and then she lifted it and their lips met he shook from head to foot he crushed her to him then he released her she glanced up at him with her hand still touching his coat and looked into his eyes i will love you and serve you and honor you always she said she took his arm and they passed down the lawn and watched the light breaking over the sea the sky was broken into thousands of fleecy clouds of mother-of-pearl the sea was trembling as though the sun had whispered that it was near at hand and on the horizon the first bars of pale gold heralded its coming i have loved you he said since the first moment that i saw you i gave you tea and muffins i deserted the miss ponsonby's in order to serve you and i too she answered laughing i could not eat the muffins for love of you and i was jealous of the miss ponsonby's why did you turn me out the other day they had been talking mother and the others and i was hurt terribly and i thought that you would hear what they had said 
and would think perhaps that it was true and would despise me and then after you had gone i knew that nothing in the world could make any difference that they could say what they pleased but that i could not live without you you see i am very young oh and i am so old dear you mustn't forget that do you think that you could ever put up with any one as old as i am she laughed you are just the same age as myself she cried you will always be the same age and i'm not sure but i think that you are younger and suddenly the sun had risen a great ball of fire changing all the blue of the sky to red and gold and they watched as the gods had watched the flaming ruin of valhalla but the daylight drove them to other thoughts i must go back she said i will go down to the shore and perhaps we'll meet father oh you don't know what i've suffered during these last few days i thought that perhaps i had driven you away and that you would never come back and then i had a silly idea that i would watch your windows and so i came why i have watched yours he cried often oh we will have some times but you must remember that there will be three of us she answered there is robin robin why it will be splendid you and robin and i poor robin she laughed you don't know how i scolded him last night it was about you and i was unhappy he is changing fast and it is because of you he has come round we have all come round cried harry he and you and i oh this is the beginning of the world for all of us and i am forty-five will you write to me later in the day i cannot get down until to-night my father is very ill i must be here but write to me a long letter it will be as though you were talking she laughed yes i'll write she cried and then she looked at him again i love you she said as though she were reciting her faith because you are good because you are strong because oh for no reason at all just because you are you for a moment they watched the sea and then again he took her in his arms and held her as though he would never let her go then she vanished through the trees the house was waking into life as he re-entered it servants were astir at an early hour he had been away such a little time but the world was another place every detail of the house the stairs the hall the windows the clocks the potpourri scent from the bowls of dried roses the dance of the dust in the light of the rising sun was presented to him now with a new meaning he was glad that she had stayed with him such a little while it made it more precious her coming with the shadows in that grey of breaking skies and a mysterious plunging sea and then vanishing with the rising sun oh they will come down to earth soon enough let him keep that kiss those few words her last smile as she vanished into the wood like the visible signs of the other world that had at last been allowed to him the vision of the grail had passed from his eyes but the memory of it was to be his most sacred possession he went to his room had a bath and then returned to his father of course he could not sleep Claire, Garrett, and Robin met at breakfast with the sense of approaching calamity heavy upon them. As far as Sir Jeremy himself was concerned, there was little real regret. How could there be? 
of course there was the sentiment of separation the breaking of a great many ties that had been strong and traditional but it was better that the old man should go of that there was no question sir jeremy himself would rather no le roi est mort was easy enough to say but how vive le roi stuck in their throats garrett hinted at a wretched night and quoted benham on the dangers of an armchair at night-time of course one had been thinking he said vaguely after a melancholy survey of eggs and bacon that developed into resignation over dry toast there was a good deal to think about but i certainly had intended to go to bed i can't imagine what robin said nothing his mind was busy with mary's speech of the night before his world lay crumbled about him and like cato he was finding a certain melancholy satisfaction in its ruins his thoughts were scarcely with his grandfather he felt vaguely that there was death in the house and that its immediate presence was one of the things that had helped to bring his self-content about his ears but it was of his father that he was thinking and of a certain morning when he had refused a walk if he got a chance again claire looked wretched robin thought that she had never seemed so ill before there was for the first time an air of carelessness about her as though she had flung on her clothes somehow something utterly unlike her i am going to speak to harry this morning she said garrett looked up peevishly scarcely the time claire i should say that it were better for us to wait until well afterwards there is perhaps something a little indecent i have considered the matter carefully interrupted claire decisively this is the best time oh well of course only i should have thought that i might have had just a little say in the matter i was after all originally consulted as well as yourself i saw the girl and was even i might venture to suggest with her for some time but of course a mere man's opinion oh don't be absurd garrett it is i that have to ask him it is pretty obvious that i have every right to choose my own time oh please don't let me interfere only i should scarcely have thought that this was quite the moment when harry would be most inclined to listen to you if we don't ask him now she answered there's no knowing when we shall have the opportunity when poor father is gone he will have a great deal to settle and decide he will have no time for anything at all for months ahead this morning is our last chance but she had another thought her great desire now was that he should try and fail that he should fail she was sure she was eagerly impatient for that day when he must come to them and admit his failure she looked ahead and fashioned that scene for herself that scene when robin should know and confess that his father was only as the rest of them that their failure was his failure their incapacity his incapacity and then the balance would be restored and robin would see as he had seen before coffee robin it's quite hot still i saw dr brady just now he says that there is no change nor is there likely to be one for some hours you're looking tired robin old boy have you been sleeping on the floor too no he looked up and smiled but i was awake a good bit the house is different somehow when oh yes i know one feels it of course but eating's much the best thing for keeping one's spirits up i suppose harry is coming down 
just find out from benham will you wilder whether mr henry is coming down the footman left the room returning in a moment with the answer that mr henry was about to come down garrett moved to the door but claire stopped him i want you garrett you can bear me out i thought that my opinion was of so little importance he answered sulkily that i might as well go but he sat down again and buried himself in his paper they waited and robin made mental comparison with a similar scene a week before there were still the silver teapot the toast the ham they were all there and it was only he himself who had altered only a week and what a difference what a cad he had been a howling cad not only to his father but to dahlia to every one with whom he had had to do he did not spare himself he had at least the pluck to go through with it that was trojan at harry's entrance there was an involuntary raising of eyebrows to see if possible how he took it it being his own immediate succession rather than his father's death he was grave of course but there was a light in his eyes that claire could not understand had he some premonition of her request he apologized for being late i have been up most of the night there is no immediate danger of a change but we ought i think to be ready yes uh, the toast robin please i hope you've slept all right claire how quickly he had picked up the manner she reflected as she watched him but of course that was natural enough once a trojan always a trojan and no amount of colonies will do away with it but three weeks was a short time for so vast a change no harry not very well of course it weighs on one rather she sighed and rose from the breakfast table she looked terribly tired and harry was suddenly sorry for her and for the first time since the night of his return felt that they were brother and sister but after the adventure of the early morning it was as though he were related to the whole world love and death had drawn close to him and with the sound of the beating of their wings the world had revealed things to him that had in other days been secrets love and death were such big things that his personal relations with claire with garrett even with robin had assumed their true proportion claire you're tired he said i should go and lie down again you shall be told if anything happens no thanks harry i wanted to ask you something but perhaps first i ought to apologize for some of the things that i said the other day i said more than i meant to i am sorry but one forgets at times that one has no right to meddle in other people's affairs but now i uh, we all of us want to ask you a favor yes he said looking up well of course this is scarcely the time but it is something that can hardly wait and you can decide about acting yourself she paused it was the very hardest thing that she had ever had to do and she would never forget it to the day of her death but it was harder for robin he sat there with flaming cheeks and his head hanging he could not look at his father it is to do with robin claire went on he was rather afraid to ask you about it himself because of course it is not a business of which he is very proud and so he has asked me to do it for him it is a girl a miss feverel whom he met at cambridge and to whom he had written letters letters that gave the young woman some reason to suppose that he was offering her marriage 
he saw the matter more wisely after a time and naturally wished miss feverel to restore the letters but this she refused to do both garrett and myself have done what we could and have i am afraid failed miss feverel is quite resolute most obstinately so we are afraid that she may take steps that would be unpleasant to all of us it is rather worrying us and we thought it seemed in short i determined to ask you to help us with your wider experience you will probably know the best way in which to deal with such a person claire paused she had put it as dryly as possible but it was nevertheless humiliating there was a pause i am scarcely surprised said harry that robin is ashamed of the affair of course he is answered claire eagerly bitterly ashamed i suppose you may love to uh, uh, miss feverel he said turning directly to robin yes said robin lifting his head and facing his father as their eyes met the colour rushed to his cheeks it was a rotten thing to do said harry i have been very much ashamed of myself answered robin i would make miss feverel any apology that is in my power but there seems to be little that i can do harry said no more i'm really sorry said claire at last to speak about a business like this just now but really there is no time to lose i am sure that you will do something to prevent trouble in the courts and that is what miss feverel seems to threaten what do you want me to do he asked to see her no to see her and try and arrange some compromise i should have thought that robin was the proper person he has tried and failed she would not listen to him then i am afraid that she will not listen to me a perfect stranger with no claims on her interest it is precisely that you will be able to put it on a business footing because sentiment does not enter into the question at all do you want me to help you robin at the direct question robin looked up again his father looked very stern and judicial it was the schoolmaster rather than the parent but after all what else could he expect so he said quite simply yes father but at this moment there was an interruption with the hurried opening of the door there came the sounds of agitated voices and steps in the passage then benham appeared sir jeremy is worse mr henry the doctor says that perhaps harry hurriedly left the room absolute silence reigned the sudden arrival of the long-expected crisis was terrifying they sat like statues staring in front of them and listening eagerly to every sound the monotonous ticking of the clock on the mantelpiece was terrifying the clock on the wall by the door seemed to run a race the tick-tock grew faster and faster at last it was as if both clocks were screaming aloud the room was filled with the clamour and through it all they sat motionless and silent in a moment harry had returned all of you he said quickly he would like to see you i am afraid after that robin was confused and saw nothing clearly as he crept tremblingly up the stairs everything assumed gigantic and menacing shapes the clock the potpourri bowls the window curtains and the brass rods on the stairs in the room there was that grey half-light that seemed so terrible and the spurt and crackle of the fire seemed to fill the place with sounds he scarcely saw his grandfather in the centre of the bed 
something was lying the eyes gleamed for a moment in the light of the fire the lips seemed to move but he did not realize that those things were his grandfather whom he had known for so many years in another hour he would be dead but the things that he saw were the shadows of the fire on the wall the dancing in the air of the only lock of hair that dr brady possessed the way that claire's hands were folded as she stood silently by the bed uncle garrett's waistcoat buttons that shot little sparks of light into the room as he turned ever so slightly from side to side at a motion of the doctor's he came forward to bid sir jeremy farewell as he bent over the bed panic seized him he did not see sir jeremy but something horrible terrible ghoulish death then he saw the old man's eyes and they were twinkling then he knew that he was speaking to him the words came with difficulty but they were quite clear you'll be a good man robin but listen to your father he knows he'll show you how to be a trojan for a moment he held the wrinkled shriveled hand in his own and then he stepped back claire bent down and kissed her father and then kneeled down by the bed robin had a mad longing to laugh as he saw his uncle and aunt kneeling there their heads made enormous shadows on the wall harry also bent down and kissed his father the old man held his hand and kept it i've tried to be a fair man and a gentleman i've not been a good one but i've had some fun and seen life thank god i was born a trojan so will the rest of you harry my boy you're all right you'll do i'm going but i don't regret anything your sins are experience and the greatest sin of all is not having any his lips closed as the fire flashed with the falling of a cavern of blazing coal his head rolled back onto the pillow and suddenly he smiled dear old harry he said and then he died the shadows from the fire leapt and danced on the wall and the kneeling figures by the bed flung grotesque shapes over the dead man End of chapter fourteen